Hey, would you just pray with me a sec? Well, God, um, here we are, and you know what it took to get here for each one of us. Um, and so my prayer is that you would meet each one of us wherever we are, um, that we would hear your touch, we would hear your voice, feel your touch, um, be encouraged or empowered or challenged as your spirit leads. Um, so help me to be a servant in that process and to pay attention to you and to be, um, I don't know, your spokesperson of love. That sounded cheesy, sorry, but amen. All right. <laughs> so I have a confession to make. Um, I, um, I am one of those moms, right? I am the over-the-top excessive mom who um, threw really extravagant parties for her kids. Uh, so uh, this is a, a picture of my son's 11th birthday party, um, which was a medieval siege weaponry party. And we made trebuchets and we hurled um, rotten apples at each other's forts from across the yard. Um, we threw countless Star Wars parties. And actually, one of the best ones was after Star Wars 2 came out. And we realized that if you tied two children together and gave them foam insulation, they had basically four arms and they could fight like General Grievous. Um, that was a big hit. We also discovered that if you threw soft things at them when they are blindfolded, that you could see who has the force, right? Like they just blindfolded and hit them. Um, and my parties were kind of a hit. And I would get this call um, like around May. And um, my friend would say, so when's Nate's birthday party? And, and I would say to her, Claire, it's May. Nate's birthday is in July. I have no idea. And she's like, no, no, it is important because um, we are planning our summer vacation now and Rowan would kill us if we miss Nate's party. So when is Nate's party, right? And so the point is really great parties, people work their lives around to come, right? So our story today, Jesus is at a dinner party. Um, uh, and this dinner party that he's eating at gets interrupted by a sick man that Jesus stops to engage with and heal. Um, then he notices that like all the people are kind of in a scrum for the best seats, which disgusts him a bit. And then he looks around and he realizes, hey, you know, everybody who's at this party is all of the same social, economic, and religious class. And he says, you know, that's not actually not how we do parties in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, you're supposed to be inviting diverse community and people who are different than you. And those of us with stuff are supposed to share it with people without. Um, this does not go over well. And I imagine that the room is really tense. Anybody, like Thanksgiving's coming up. And as you think about like your Thanksgiving meal, anybody anticipating some kind of maybe a little awkward conversations? <laughs> my family, my immediate family, uh, my immediate family, my mom, dad, and I are um, of one political persuasion. and everyone else in the extended family is of the other one. Um, there, I cannot remember a holiday dinner that doesn't sort of end up in, you know, like when the cats come out, like, you know, everybody, the hair on the back of the necks, right? And it's just tense. My mother is the world's expert on how to deal with that, right? She looks around the room and will go, oh, Bob, that's my dad, how did you get those flowers? to grow so beautifully. 
And then it's like people dying or like drowning in the ocean. Everyone is jumping for this life raft, right? Oh, those flowers are amazing. Bob, how did you do that, right? Tension goes. Right, anybody relate to this in your families? Um, that's what's happening at this dinner party that Jesus is at, right? He has made everyone uncomfortable. And then this one guy, who's like my mother, says the easy statement. Yeah, well, we all know that when you eat in the kingdom of heaven, everyone's going to be happy. To which Jesus tells this story. A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And the master was furious and said, quickly, go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Well, after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes, go behind hedges, urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. For none of those who I first invited will even get the smallest taste of the banquet. All right. So we've got this story of um, a man. So Jesus is telling the story of a man who's throwing a feast, right? And, and you think about what's involved in throwing a feast, right? You've got a, you know, you've got a shop, you've got a cook, but then you know this is the Middle East, right? Like so you're going to markets and you're bartering. Um, if you're going to cook meat, you need to drain the blood. Um, you need to hire musicians, clean the house, make everything ready. So it takes a long time. Um, and they don't, you know, they, they don't have their, um, you know, their iPhones and their Google calendars, right? And so what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to throw a party. It's going to take a while. But just don't, get, don't, don't do anything major so your schedule can be free to come, right? It's kind of like a first century save the date. Um, and so um, you think he sends this out, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we're coming. This is awesome. And then when he goes out to invite people, they start giving excuses. No, I can't come. No, I can't come. Um, and, and to the point that everyone has stood him up. Um, so if you're churchy, right, like if you kind of grew up in the church, or you grew up around the story, this story is probably familiar. And probably what you're right now preparing yourself for is like a lecture on excuses and priorities, right? But here's the thing. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and for two reasons. One, y'all are here, right? Or here, right? You actually have made it a priority to feed your soul, to pay attention, or maybe to explore your faith. So you're, you're not the people who need this talk on excuses and priorities. Moreover, we're not going to mock or, or belittle people who aren't here because in this pandemic that never ends, there are a whole lot of reasons, good reasons, why somebody wouldn't come. But the real reason we're not going to talk about that is I don't actually think that's the point of the passage. Instead, I want to call our attention to a little phrase in verse 18. They all alike 
began making excuses. Now, I don't know how you imagine that happening. Um, I'm, I'm American, and I tend to think like an American or a Westerner. So the way that I imagine that is that it, you know, all of these individual people start thinking, you know, I don't really want to go. And it's this massive coincidence that everyone just decides not to go. But you see, Jesus is a first century Palestinian Jew. He lives in a communal culture, um, and, and they don't think that way. Right? And actually, I don't think it happens as individually in our culture either. Um, but what, um, uh, what I think happens is that all alike, so maybe there's a couple women washing their clothes down at the, at the creek, and they say, you know, oh, are you, are you going to, did you get invited to that party? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I did. Are you going to go? Oh, yeah, yeah, we said we'd go. But, you know, it's really hard with the kids there. Oh, I know, and it's so inconvenient, and their bedtimes get interrupted. You know, I'm not sure it's worth it. You know, or um, maybe maybe some men are out working in the field, and they say, hey, are you, are you going? And they're like, yeah, we said we'd go, but you know what, that system of reciprocity? Yeah, I just, I always feel like I'm in his debt after he does this. Yeah, me too. I don't know. Are you going to go? I don't know. And then maybe there's people in the marketplace and they're talking about politics and they say, you know, are you going to go? And they're like, well, it's always so conflictual or it's always so boring or it's, you know, I have so much else to do. And what happens is this kind of narrative gets woven of, you know, this party isn't really that great. Or maybe there are better things to do with your time. Or maybe it's just too inconvenient or too hard or too uncomfortable. And that all alike fuels the courage to make these excuses. And so they individually give excuses, but, they're, but again, they're, they're, they're connected to that all alike. And these excuses are, are it's fascinating, right? There's a, a wide range of validity to them, right? So the guy who says, you know, oh, I've, got, I've just bought a parcel of land, in some ways, um, this is, in some ways, the one that makes the most sense, right? He's made a big investment. Their family's going to figure out how they're going to use it. Um, it's kind of legit. Now, does he need to go look at the land at night, that night, when the party happens? Yeah, maybe not. Then there's the cows, right? It's saying, oh, I just bought a pair of oxen and I have to go try them out. It's a little bit like saying, I just bought a car and now I'm going to go test drive it. Right? It's either this guy is a little stupid or he's saying, I would rather play with cows than come to your party. <laughs> then there's the marriage one, right? And this one has always confused me, right? I just got married. Bring your wife, right? Like it's no big deal. Like, you know, anybody else feel like that? Like, why would this be a problem? I used to feel that way until I started reading commentaries written by people who either were Middle Eastern or grew up in the Middle East. And they're like, oh, that's not what's being said at all. This guy, okay, so it's gonna get a little PG-13 for a moment here, right? This guy, he's saying, hey, I just got married. We could be doing married things. Why would I want to go to your party when I could be doing that? It is insulting, rude, um, and it's like a slap in the face. When Jesus told this, his audience would have gasped. 
actually kind of like that Jesus tells a little edgy, racy story here. Um, right? So he gives these excuses. Um, yeah. So let's say you're throwing this party. Right? You've done the shopping, you know, you've got the guest list, you've done the shopping, you've done the cooking, you've hired the musicians, you've done all of this work. And your servant comes back in and goes, hey, no one, no one is coming. Can you just get in touch for a second with like what you might feel? Right? You know, would that be hurt? Maybe self-doubt? Do people actually like me? Right? Maybe anger, maybe confusion, maybe a desire for revenge, maybe just this like, well, fine, I'll just eat it all myself. <laughs> right? What we learn is that our guy, the man in the story, is angry. He's furious, in fact. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. I am really uncomfortable around anger. And I don't really like the idea that this, the, the man character who plays you know, kind of in the role of God is angry. But again, I think that part of that is because I read anger through a Western individualistic lens. Right? And so I think his anger is vindictive and individual. That's actually not what's happening here. If you'll notice, the man, no, he never interacts with any of the people he's invited. He only gets the collective story. Right? He doesn't, they don't tell him, he doesn't respond to them. He gets this collective story. Um, and I think actually what he's angry at isn't the individuals. I think he's angry at the all alike. I think he is angry that there is a cultural narrative that is telling people this party is not good. I think that he is narrative that angry is angry. Sorry, <laughs> that there is a story floating out there that says this party is not worth going to. You should protect yourself from this party. That there is a narrative out there that is robbing people from experiencing the goodness that he wants to give them, and that makes him mad because it's hurting other people. It is robbing people that he loves of the goodness he wants to give them. I think it's an anger that is actually fueled by love. And this is borne out by his response. Because what does he say is he says, go invite. Oh, this is the goodness that he wants to give them. Sorry. Right? And it's fueled out in his response because he says, go invite more people. Right? You'll notice he does not mope. He does not give in to self-pity. He is not bitter, nor is he vindictive. Now, he does say they will not, they will not taste the banquet. But, you know, if they decided to come early, they could have. Right? Instead, he is focusing on the purpose. He has a party that needs to be enjoyed. Now, the parable is told, this is a parable about the kingdom of God. And so the, the king, the one who's throwing the party, is God. So I've told you about my parties and how crazy and fun they are. But let me just say, my parties pale in comparison to the party that God is throwing that has already started 
and will continue throughout eternity. And there are hints of this all around us, right? Like if you, um, you've seen the sunset, maybe, maybe because of the time change, some of us all saw the sunrise that we don't normally see. It was gorgeous today, right? But it's just like this artwork in the sky every day. Hey, look how amazing I am. The leaves right now, it's beautiful. Like, who needs to waste color on dead leaves, right? I was gardening the other day, um, actually before it got cold, and um, this little bug jumped on my hand. Chartreuse and periwinkle. Who, do you, who wastes chartreuse and periwinkle on a bug whose life might be two days? God is extravagant and gorgeous and beauty-filled. But there's not just that. There's food and flavor, right? Like, he didn't have to create flavor. There's fruit and mangoes. There's um, chocolate. <laughs> There's lime and chili. I'm really into lime and chili right now. It's amazing. Um, and then there's coffee. Just a category in and of itself, right? I have a, my students made me a mug that say, um, coffee, God's 100% natural substitute for sleep. <laughs> um, actually, do you know the, um, the first recorded or the first well, recorded incident of anybody drinking or using coffee came from Ethiopia. There was an uh, Ethiopian goat herder who um, noticed that when his goats ate this particular plant, they got like all jumpy and happy. And so he ate the beans off this plant and he felt all happy. And so he took them to the monastery and gave them to the abbot. And it's recorded in the log that the abbot also ate them and felt happy. And he said, these have to be from God. And they really helped the brothers to chew them before long prayer meetings. <laughs> God has this sense of humor, too, I believe, um, which goes with other parts of the goodness of this party that he throws, right? Like it's not just beauty and flavor, but there's laughter and friendship and reconciliation and forgiveness and dignity and hope and belonging. I remember the first time I got a taste of what this kind of the depth of the riches of the kingdom in terms of relationships meant. I was my freshman year in college. My best friend was a Chinese man named Nick, and we did everything together. And one night, late at night, we were sitting around talking and laughing and telling jokes, and this joke jumps out of my mouth and realized it was a racist joke. And I had that... <gasps> I shouldn't have said that. And then I watched the joke hit Nick's face with sort of shock and then hurt and then confusion. Like, what did it mean that his best friend would say something like this? And so what I did was I left very quickly and then for the next two weeks avoided him. Uh, though we were in the same campus, we uh, in the same Christian fellowship. I would come late. I would leave early. I would sit on opposite sides of the room. I just avoided him. About two weeks later, Nick cornered me and goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, I said that thing and it hurt you. And he's like, well, you did. So what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm avoid I ruined our friendship. So I'm avoiding you. And he says, why would you think you ruined our friendship? Now, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because, like, we live in cancel culture now, but I grew up in cancel culture, right? Like, with my, with my dad, it didn't matter if you were a neighbor. It didn't matter if you were a relative. It didn't matter if you were a friend of 30 years. If you crossed the line, we never, ever saw them again. And so this is how I understand that relationships work. Once you cross a the line, they're done. 
And Nick is like, what? that is not how it works in the kingdom of God. He says, this is why Jesus died. He came and he lived this amazing, perfect, loving life. And then the system of evil and corruption and injustice killed him. And he willingly took on all of that evil. And he put it to death with his body. And when he rose again from the dead, he broke its power. So we can have reconciliation with God, but it also bubbles over into our relationships with each other. And then he walked me through the process of how to do that, because I had no idea. And he says, basically, this is how it works, Shan. You sit and listen to me tell you how hard that was, and tell you how much that hurt me. And you don't get to make excuses, and you don't get to interrupt, and you don't get to explain. You, if you have to ask a question, it's tell me more, or how did that feel? And so I do that, and then he says, now you can validate. I could see how that's really hard. And now you can ask for my forgiveness. Not to say, I'm sorry. You can say, will you forgive me? And I did. And it was like magic. The healing that happened and the freedom and the, re the reconciliation. He became my friend, but better. Stronger, more. Because that is the power of the gospel lived out in relationships. It's amazing. And I don't, I don't tell that story because I'm like particularly proud of that story. But I tell you because it was the first time I got a taste of some of the goodness of this party that God is throwing. That even when evil and brokenness happens, there can be reconciliation. So back to our story. Our story, actually I don't know if you noticed this, but our story has layers, right? Like an ogre or an onion. Right? He, it, um, Jesus is telling this parable where his, people are invited to a party. There's an all alike that says, you should, this isn't really that great, and then they don't come. He's sitting in a party where he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God is actually about making diverse communities and sharing our resources and being interruptible and caring for people in need. But the Pharisees also have an all alike. Um, is this this one? Nope. The Pharisees also have an all alike that says, actually, we kind of like the party the way it is. And so they choose not to come. But you see, we also have all alikes, right? We are invited to this amazing kingdom party. But there are narratives around that say Christianity really that fun. Like, you, you don't get to do the good stuff. Um, maybe it's too hard, right? You have to lose your life. Um, it's irrelevant, exclusive, boring. Or maybe we think if I become a Christian or if I throw myself in fully to following Jesus, I'm going to have to become a Republican <laughs> or a Democrat, right? Maybe I'm going to have to become one of those uptight people or those boring people or those judgmental people. Or maybe we just think, maybe it's not true. And these are the voices, the all-alikes, the cultural narratives that can actually grab our hearts and tell us that this kingdom that God has, this party that God is throwing, isn't really as good as he says it is. And maybe it's not worth your whole life. 
for me, if I'm honest. The, the voices that all alike that gets me is, is that Christianity is exclusive. And if I throw my lot in with Jesus, I'm going to have to become uptight and judgmental. Now, when I step, and that, that'll hold me back. I mean, it literally will, unless I notice it and look at it. And when I do, I realize that's, that's not actually true. Because if I am following Jesus, Jesus is not at all exclusive or uptight or judgmental. So he's not going to want me to be that way either. But I don't unhook from it until I notice and then step back and look at it. So on your um, chairs, you actually have a little piece of paper. And um, if, if you do this, if you're writing in a journal, uh, or if you have paper at home or something, go, feel free to grab that. But I want to, we've got a little bit more, but I want to just pause here and ask, can you identify the all alike that grabs your heart? The thing that might say, yeah, it's probably not worth it. Maybe it's not so good. Well, do you really want that? Because again, if we don't notice them, then they have power over us. So just take a moment and think. And, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to just um, jot it down so you can think about it and reflect on it more later. One of the really cool things about this parable is the very fact that Jesus is telling a story where God throws parties that people don't want to come to means he understands that there's a narrative out there that says you shouldn't come to this party, right? Like he's telling a party going, I get it. I get that it's countercultural. I get that you have to face the all alikes. I just find that really encouraging. The other thing I'd love for you to do on your paper is to, to grab hold of one of those good things in the party um, that, you can, that you can kind of go back to, something that will remind you, something that will help you counter the narrative of the all alike, right? Um, so um, I was teaching, uh, um, oh, there we go. Um, yeah, so I was teaching a Bible study in, the, in Genesis once, and my, my group of students are like, what do what, what you hold on to to remember how good God is? And they're like, mangoes. The fact that there are mangoes like, means that there is a good God, right? You know, so um, uh, maybe at sunsets, maybe it's your morning coffee, right? But like every time you see a sunset, remember, oh, right, God did that for me. Oh, he really is beautiful and good. Or when you sip your coffee, like, God, what, what, you know, grace, kindness. So just think, is there something that you want to hold on to that will help you counter that narrative? Now, if we had all day, like if you were on a retreat with me, I would actually send you out into the woods and say, take a while to walk and identify and talk to God or read through a psalm, um, listen to your favorite worship song um, to help that sink in. But instead, this morning, I want us to look briefly at the sermon, uh, the servant. Um, you, you could do those things later today if you wanted. Okay, but the servant, man, could you imagine? This guy had to have thought he had the best job in the world, right? So because everybody's already said yes, 
And now there's these cooking smells, and the band is warming up. And all he has to do is go knock on the doors and say, come on in. It's great. And if one by one, door by door, close in his face, right? Man, can you imagine how that felt? You know, hurt or shame, maybe fear of having to go back to the master, right? But he does. He goes back to the master um, and who says, well, there's still room. Go get more people. He does, and he comes back again, and he goes, hey, there's still room. And the master says, go out further, I think actually when we're thinking about the layers of this parable, the person who is the servant in the story is Jesus. And he is living out that parable as they speak. He's telling the parable, but he's also inviting the Pharisees into this beautiful kingdom party that is non-exclusive and is welcoming and interruptible and loving. Um, He is actually modeling that by welcoming this sick man Um, and healing him in the midst of subduing something else. I think when we think, okay, so Jesus is is the, the servant in the parable. Well, who's the servant now? I think that particularly those of us in America, we tend to think you are, right? You, you, and you. Right? Like you are that servant. And so the application of this is you need to go out and invite your friends to church. Okay, now that's not a bad thing, right? Like that's that's a good thing. And totally, this is a great church. Invite your friends to church. But I think when we think about it only in individual terms, we miss something of the passage. Um, Because the Bible, again, isn't written. um, Oh, did I not put that up? You. Okay, great. Because the Bible, again, isn't written by Westerners. (laughs) And so when they say you, it usually means y'all. In fact, most of the yous in the New Testament are plural, right? So he says y'all or, you know, or yous guys if you're from Philly, Um, right? So when we hear that, we need to hear it as a corporate response, right? We are the body of Christ. So what does that mean together? Um, I think it changes how it means that when we need to compel or encourage people um, to come in, I think it has less to do with individual force or manipulation and more to do with how compelling a people we are. It has less to do with individual persuasion and more to do with how compelling we are as the people of God. Um, I think my personal pet phrase for that is I think we need to smell like Jesus, right? Not, not like a, a first century Middle Eastern man in a, you know, before deodorant in a hot climate, um, but more like what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that we are the aroma of Christ, that we are a life-giving perfume to people around us. In my kitchen, I have a basil plant. And um, it's on the shelf, and every time I need to reach and to drop something in the trash, I brush up against it, or if I have to put something on the shelf, and when I brush against it, whoosh, I smell home cooking and freshness and basil and life. That's what I think we're supposed to be like as the people of God. That when people brush up against us, they go, oh, patience, peace, joy, love, graciousness, gentleness, kindness. Justice, hope, belonging, 
acceptance, love, right? And I want to say that um, you guys are already doing this. When you guys do your love days and you contribute and you give in order to bless people in your community, your church smells like Jesus. People brush up against you and go, oh, that's what he's like. I think, though, we, as people of God, we also need to acknowledge that there are people like that. Not only do we have all alikes narratives that make it hard, that people around us have individual, personal all alikes, and that there are cultural all alikes. There are pockets of people who have not felt welcomed or loved by the Church of God, um, and um, and what we need to do when we that is we need to acknowledge that it may be harder for them to receive an open-armed invitation. That for people to really feel invited into the kingdom, it may mean that we need to be patient and gentle and persistent and willing to listen. I work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And one of, I was supervising a number of campuses in Philadelphia, and one of my campuses did an outreach this fall uh, called Check-In for Chicken. And so basically what they did is Chick-fil-A donated 200 chicken sandwiches. And they publicized and they said, uh, this Christian group said, if you want, um, you know, text us your question about faith, and we will show up with a chicken sandwich and our best answer and have a conversation. Right? And so they did this, and they gave away all 200 chicken sandwiches. It was awesome. And then the next day, the LGBTQ community wrote a letter. Not a mean, nasty letter in the newspaper, but they wrote it into the forum of kind of all the clubs and groups and said, hey, that, that really hurt. Um, you may or may not be aware, but the queer community has not felt welcomed by Chick-fil-A and the fact that you had advertised that, it felt like you were kind of rubbing it in our faces. Now it's hard, right? Now it's awkward because what this Christian group wanted to do was to communicate love. So what they did is they sat down and they wrote an apology and they said, hey, we are so sorry that that event was hurtful. That was not on our minds. And we just didn't remember and didn't pay attention. And we did this. And we want to acknowledge that that hurt you. And it's the furthest thing from what we would have wanted to do. Will you forgive us? And moreover, we would be happy to come and sit and listen and hear more personally how this affected you and what it's like to be queer on our campus. And they sent it off. About a week went by. Friday morning, I got a call from the staff in that group. He was dancing. He's like, I just got the reply back. And listen to what they said. They said, we have never had anyone apologize to us. This has been a really hard year. We have felt really alienated and really unseen. And your Christian group is the first group we have felt 
loved by. Thank you. And we would love to come and be with you and get to know you and share stories together. We're invited to remember that this is a great party, to take note of the all alike so we don't get caught in them, and then to walk gently and patiently and kindly with other people and remind them that this is good. We're invited to smell like Jesus. And let me tell you, that is part of the party too because that's also where we taste the goodness of God. Let me pray. Jesus, um, would you help us, even now, would you help us take stock? What is it we need to hear from you? Do we need to remember how good you are to actually just take time do we need to take, assess deeper what our all alike is? Are you inviting us into kind and creative and gentle ways to smell like you in our neighborhoods, at work, as a church? Jesus, we know you long for people to come into your good, good kingdom. Would you help us be part of that invitation? Amen.